0: May be seated. In my classes, I like to sometimes have the students go into small groups or pair up. And we know that having our students pair up helps them to learn to talk back and forth, learn to explore problems together and learn the way that other people might think and contribute to what you're trying to accomplish. In our text for today, that is literally true. What if the project was to go out into Casey and there you're going to knock on people's doors and you're going to tell them Jesus is coming and I'm bringing you peace. Would you be ready for such an assignment? Today, that is the assignment. That is the assignment that Jesus gives to 72 of his disciples to have them pair up and go out with the message of peace. And so in our sermon, we're going to be breaking that down into sections. How we're going to pair up and pray it forward is the first part that we're going to consider in our mission festival. The text comes from Luke chapter 10, and we'll begin with the first three verses. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and set them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking when they heard this? When they heard this assignment, probably like you or me, I'd be thinking, Well, Jesus already has the 12 apostles, much more qualified, who have been learning at Jesus' feet, and they know how to do this. They're practically professionals, even though they really weren't. Or Jesus has already had John the Baptist go ahead of him, preparing the way, and he was a great preacher. I remember hearing his message and how captivating and exciting it was and scary and how he led us to repent. And I've heard Jesus' teachings, how he memorizes these parables, and how he has these short proverbs that he teaches the people, and his teaching is the greatest of all. How could I possibly go out and do any better? And so we look up the hierarchy, we imagine there's more well-trained scholars pastors, professors, professional evangelists, people who are more charismatic than me. But Jesus says, pair up. Pair up. Two are better than one. Even if you doubt yourself, pair up with another person. And remember that evangelism is something that is for every one of my people to be part of. Part of the ministry. You are all forerunners, like John the Baptist. You are all going ahead of Jesus. Everywhere you go, Jesus is following you to further and continue and cause fruit to flourish where you go. Who is your partner going to be? Can you take a moment right now to think? If I had to go and visit someone to talk with them about Jesus, who do I take with me? Do you have a close friend who you think you'd work well with? Do you have an older mentor that could maybe teach you a few things? Do you have a child that would love and be excited to go out and pray, and knock on doors. Or maybe your partner would be scared just like you are. Well, that's probably true. Jesus is trying to get his people looking forward, not backwards. They're looking forward. Where is Jesus going next? Where is Jesus headed? Where is his kingdom going? Where is the work to be done? Where is the house that Jesus wants to visit? And that's part of all of our lives which begins with prayer all evangelism begins with prayer it's forward-looking prayer jesus says to pray because the harvest is gigantic how many grains and heads of fruit that god is going to bring in the harvest is plentiful but the people who are going to go out who are going to do that hard work of foot soldiers are few. Jesus keeps moving. He goes through all these villages and Luke has already told us in chapter nine that he's got a vision forward for Jerusalem. He's looking forward to going to Jerusalem, not because he's excited about it, because it must be done. And he's visiting all of these places. This kind of a prayer reminds me of a great experience in my life I was going through the Starbucks drive through And of course, it would have something to do with Starbucks and the person in front of me decided to pay it forward. So if you know what that means, they paid for my coffee before I got to the drive through and I arrived there and somebody had already paid my bill. Anybody ever had that happen? Anybody ever done that for somebody else? So paying it forward means you're thinking of the next person that's coming or how you can forward a gift to somebody else and then they are thinking of that, pass it on to somebody else. But here Jesus is telling us to pray it forward and how you can take time to focus on that message of peace, resting on a home, on a family, on an individual, praying forward for them and then tell them, I've been praying for you. And maybe they'll pray it on for somebody else. We can walk through neighborhoods. It's always good to take a walk. And we can literally take time to pray for the houses in our neighborhood. Take a walk with your partner and pray for the people. Every single house in your neighborhood is precious and special to Jesus. And he wants to go there. He wants to minister to those people. And so he's directing us to pair up and pray it forward. So we will pause there and have a responsive reading from Isaiah 12. Let us rise. So in that hymn verse, we are thinking about our heart. And it mentions that the saving word would rest in our hearts and we would treasure it new grace, and richest measure. Which is really where Jesus would have us go when we're thinking about evangelism is first to our hearts. And this is what he continues to say at verse 4. Starting at verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. (coughs) There is a great challenge for someone who is a foot soldier. A foot soldier has to decide before he leaves home what he's going to take with him. What supplies he's going to need a day, two days, a month down the road. He has to plan. And he can't overload himself with too much baggage. He's only going to carry what he can hold on his back. And you can imagine, once you're a day's journey into the woods or the mountains or the desert, how it's going to matter and it's going to become real, what choices you made before you left home. What are you going to bring along? If we were to develop a program, of evangelism at our church, we're going to have a, a program, a systematic way of having us get out into our communities and bring people in to the church. What would we do to prepare for that? What choices would we make ahead of time about how we're going to go about doing that? How would we prepare for that journey, even more so if our journey was going to take us into the mountains of Nepal with the mission helpers? And they're not only going to go out from their own home, they're going to keep on going and traveling into the mountains till they're a day or two days or three days journey from where all of their stuff is. Would you go? What would you bring along? Well, it depends on what the mission is. If we were to try to promote this as a church evangelism program that we're going to sell online, nobody would buy it. Jesus tells them to take nothing, no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one. He tells them that he's sending them out as lambs in the midst of wolves, and they have nothing but the message. Jesus is saying that the number one equipment that we need before going on this journey is to prepare our hearts. (coughs) Our hearts are the number one thing that have to be ready, because if they're not, everything else is going to go haywire. The first thing we're doing today is to prepare your hearts. If you're going to go out and go home and pray for someone or talk to somebody about Jesus where's your heart it's not about your provisions or your programs Jesus says I'm sending you out as lambs Jesus did not raise up a revolutionary army he did not come up with ideas for force or might but instead he focused on vulnerability helping forgiving loving being patient This is the equipment that Jesus gave to his disciples. He told them to put on the armor of God and the armor of God, as Paul describes it in Ephesians 6, is nothing material. It's truth, it's righteousness, it's salvation. It's the good news of the sandals we put on our feet that carry us along with joy and hope. It's all of the Holy Spirit's gifts. And as we do that, we recognize the odds seem insurmountable to be lambs against wolves. That is why Jesus says to keep moving. If the king were to send out an emissary to go ahead of him and prepare the city for his arrival, this is how he would do it. His missionaries would not spend time chatting with people on the road. In fact, they would need to be going at a moment's notice Not packing their bags, not getting supplies, not doing their makeup, but going. And he sends them out with urgency to get to the next city and go to the first house they go to and say, The king is coming. Let his peace rest on this house. And whether the people there were going to receive Jesus or not would determine what you do next. If they receive Jesus, you stay. And the kingdom provides, the fruits of faith provide for your food, your housing, your shelter, and everything you need. And you stay there as long as you need to, to continue praying and waiting for Jesus to arrive. That is his mission. That is his program. We'll continue now with the next reading. You open your bulletins. So that hymn reminds us that when we're going out with this message of peace, it doesn't mean it's all going to be peaceful. It's difficult. In fact, Jesus tells us it's not going to be all roses and flowers. The word evangelism comes from Isaiah chapter 52. And that's where we get this word evangelism or evangelists. When Isaiah says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet Of him who brings evangelism, which means good news, who publishes peace, who brings evangelism, good news, of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The term evangelist comes from this passage, which also says that that good news is to preach peace. Peace coming from the king. The king of all creation has arrived. And he says, let there be peace. It's picturing someone coming from the battlefield, announcing the coming of the king. The king is returning to Israel and God reigns. What a great message. When Jesus sends out his 72 then, he says, this is what you're doing. You're fulfilling the words of Isaiah 52. You're carrying the peace, you're missionaries of the king, and you're to preach peace to these households. So he says, whatever house you enter first, say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So as we were picturing that message of Isaiah, that wonderful message of peace and victory and salvation and God, is coming to earth to reign, did we expect these results? Did we expect people to throw us out of their house when we're bringing the king of all creation to them? He's coming. Did we expect it to happen to Jesus? Luke is emphasizing hospitality as a sign of who is receiving the kingdom and who is not. And throughout the Gospel of Luke, you see these moments of hospitality. Houses that will welcome Jesus and people who will send him away and reject him. You will see people who treat him like he's less than them. And then you will have sinful people washing his feet with their hair. So this hospitality picture is showing us The difference between those who are receiving the kingdom and those who are not. The difficulty is, is even though you're bringing peace, even though it seems like a wonderful message. It's hard. And the difficulty is because it stirs up the enemy. And it's going to happen in your life. The message is coming to you right now, to your house and to your home. The message of peace. But as soon as that peace comes upon you, the enemy is stirred up. He is fighting against it. He is wanting to overthrow because he doesn't want God's peace. He wants chaos. He wants turmoil. He wants trouble. He wants hurting because he's hurting. So this message comes to you. And you have to recognize the battle that you're going to face when it rests on your house. It doesn't mean everything's going to be peaceful, but it means that you have (coughs) peace. You are messengers of the king. You're sent ahead of him with this message, and you should know that when you're dealing with it, there are going to be some who hear and some who reject. And it's not up to us to decide. If they hear you, they hear Jesus. If they reject you, they reject Jesus. And not only do they reject him, but they reject the one who sent him. And that's why Jesus pronounces woes on those cities. The book of Hebrews says that there's an even greater responsibility to those who know Jesus compared to those who never knew him on what happens when they reject him. Under the new covenant, we're not just dealing with symbols like the Old Testament, but we're dealing with the reality of Jesus' presence. There's a fierceness to that spiritual battle. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we will sing, uh, we will continue with the reading on page four, the responsive reading. And then we'll be praying about this piece again. You may be seated. As I said at the beginning, we are looking forward. Where is this headed? Where is this kingdom work of Jesus in our congregation and in our individual lives taking us? It is tempting to think in terms. Of the results what are the results going to be most churches that are focused on growing are focused on results they develop strategies they come up with marketing campaigns they do fundraising and they shape their budget in order to bring results you can hire church consultants that will come into your congregation and give you advice on what you're doing wrong, what you could do better. If these consultants came in to a meeting where Jesus was sitting at the table and he said, well, I've got a plan, what would they think of Jesus's ideas here? What would they think of Jesus's plan? Which seems to me to be completely unprepared not carrying anything along, just going into houses and saying, Peace! It almost seems foolish. And to many, it did seem foolish. And to many, it still does, because it relies completely on our Lord. That doesn't mean there aren't results, though. In fact, there are results. And Jesus sends out his 72, and this is what they say happened. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then Jesus prays. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. What is Jesus focused on? Because that's what we should be focused on. He was the greatest preacher of all time. Crowds in the thousands, they followed him from town to town. He commanded the demons. He calmed the wind and the wave. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. Results all over the place. But that's not what gets Jesus excited that's not why he rejoices instead jesus gets excited because you believe jesus gets excited because little children know his name jesus rejoices because of the little things that god does not the big things and he tells you not to rejoice in the results but in the privilege. He tells his disciples, it's not because they have power over the enemy. It's not because of the miracles that he's authorized them to do, but it's because their names are written in heaven. In other words, imagine that you were chosen to stand on the sidelines at the Super Bowl. And you can pick which side you want to be on. You can even pick your favorite team to be there, and your favorite coach. And you're standing on the sidelines, and the general manager of the team says, I want you to help the head coach make the calls in this game. Doesn't matter if you don't know anything about football. Doesn't matter if you do says, I want you to make the calls in this Super Bowl. And the coach is standing there on the sidelines of the game and he's listening to every word, every play. He's got his ear towards you, waiting to see what advice you're going to give him, what play he should call, right down to the last second where you are going to decide what the game-winning play should be. Now, you might fail miserably. You might succeed. At the end of the day, even if you stand there and you don't even say a word to the coach, except thank you. Would you be excited because of the results at the end of the game, whether your team won or lost? Or would you simply be excited because you were there, because you were given the privilege, because you were part of the king's grand scheme for all creation, in how he's going to rule this world. Amen.